Welcome to Simpler Bible, a daily journey to biblical understanding. Today, we are going to begin the book of Deuteronomy. Now, we're going to start in chapter 6. I know we did something similar to that in the book of Numbers. We started in chapter 7. And it's partly because these first five chapters of Deuteronomy are recapping for us what has taken place over the previous 40 years. So like it's stuff that we've already covered. The Ten Commandments are received again. He talks about them leaving Egypt. He talks about their journeys, talks about them wandering in the wilderness. It gives a list of every place they ever stopped. And I just felt like we would be better served using our time jumping straight into Deuteronomy 6. A couple of things to note about the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy starts, chapter 1, starts uh, on the first day of the 11th month of the 40th year. First day, 11th month, 40th year. So I always try to think of, I know that our months aren't the same as theirs. Our calendar shifts a little bit differently than ours. But just to kind of cement it in my head, I'm like, okay, this is November 1st. It's not really, but you understand. So this is November 1st, the 40th year. And Moses is going to die in chapter 34. I hope that that didn't break your heart. Spoilers, I should have said that, right? So 34 chapters of Deuteronomy, Moses is going to die in chapter 34. And then like Aaron, the people are going to mourn for Moses for 30 days. At this point, the people are two and a half months away from going into the promised land. The book of Deuteronomy, Moses is assembling the people together. Remember the, the silver trumpets that they made to assemble the people together for different purposes? He's assembling the people together, and he is giving them several different final speeches before he dies. He knows that he's not allowed to go into the promised land because of what happened in Numbers 20. And so he's giving them these, these speeches, and he's reminding them who God is. He's reminding them who they are. And he's going to do this for the period of approximately uh, a month. It could be that this was all one Saturday afternoon. We don't know that, but it does seem in the text like he calls them together in four or five different assemblies, and then he's going to die in the last few verses of the book, and then people are going to grieve for, uh, for 30 days, making the book of Deuteronomy cover about 60 days total. All right? So, just kind of keep that in mind. Deuteronomy, very short book, not quite as short as Leviticus, which covered 8 to 14 days, but very short in the scope of what it's covering, except for he's reminding them of 40 years. So here we go. Let's dive in. Chapter 6 of Deuteronomy, beginning in verse 1. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your sons and your sons' sons, by keeping all his statutes and all of his commands that I command you today, all the days of your life, that your days may be long. So this right here is very discouraging when you consider the law, that if you're going to live according to the law as a Jew, or even as somebody who's not a Jew trying to keep the law, you have to do all of it. You have to keep everything in the law. He says here in verse 3, Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord your God of their fathers has promised you, in the land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, uh, or, or with all your strength. So, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with your soul, with your mind, or with your might, sorry. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Now, that verse is going to sound very familiar to you because it's used in Matthew 22. Jesus is asked the question, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus quotes this verse and he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he says, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That comes from Leviticus 19, 18. And so these are the greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Keep all the commandments. Do everything written in them so that it may go well with you. And he says this in verse 7. He says, 
Uh, in verse 6, sorry, he says, These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to give to your fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, there's those three again, the covenant was to them, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build. Let me pause there, sorry. Teach these things to your children. Write them, uh, talk about them when you're in your house, talk about them when you're on the road, talk about them when you go to bed, talk about them when you get up. Bind them on your hands, bind them on your foreheads, write them on your doorposts and on your gates. Basically, take these commandments of God and have them infiltrate every single part of your life. I will tell you that there was a time in my life that I kind of lived by this and I wanted to always remember, quote, the commandments of the Lord. That's a dangerous prospect for a believer. And it's a dangerous prospect because no one can do everything written in the law of the Lord. No one. No one was able to do that. Christ is, is God and he did it. But apart from that, no human can do it. And, and so we have to be careful that we don't take this text, which is a beautiful text, and apply this thinking to how we approach Christ. Because this is the old covenant. Remember, the old covenant has a different priesthood, has a different sacrifice, has a different temple, has a different uh, means for righteousness. It's based on works. And now we have in Christ a better priesthood, a better sacrifice, a better temple, and a covenant that's enacted on the grace of God. So be careful that when we are reading this instruction and that you don't kind of adopt it and say, hey, these are the things that I'm going to talk about. Now, look, would it be, would it be beneficial for you to talk to your kids about the, the things of Jesus and the work of Christ? Yeah. And should we talk about it all the time? Yeah, that would be beneficial. But let, let what we talk about be the gospel and not the, the Mosaic law that was given to these people. Let's not have that be the thing that we're framing as a means of righteousness. So anyway, verse 10 then the Lord your God, when he brings you into the land that he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, those are the pits to catch water, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So here's what's interesting. When the people are wandering in the wilderness and they have manna and they don't have very much and they're wearing the same clothes, we'll see that tomorrow, they're wearing the same clothes for 40 years and their sandals don't wear out for 40 years, uh, when they have very little, they're grumbling against God, let us go back to Egypt. He's now warning them, be careful that when you have much, you don't become satisfied with the much that you have and turn away from the Lord. You'll never guess what the people are going to do. Uh, you can probably guess because they've been grumbling the whole time. As soon as they get everything that they've had their hearts set on, they turn away from the Lord. And he's warning them right here. When you get houses that you didn't build, when you get uh, houses full of good things that you didn't fill, when you get vineyards, when you get crops that you didn't have to labor for, be careful that you don't reject God. And that's exactly what they will do. And he says this, you shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. Oh, he says, by the way, sorry. It's the Lord your God you shall fear, him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. Do not go after the other gods, the gods of the people who are around you. But what have they been doing for the last 40 years? Accumulating the gods of all the people around them. What are they going to do when they go into the promised land? Accumulate the gods of all the people that lived in the promised land before them. He says, be careful that the Lord your God is a jealous God. Be careful that the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Masa. That's back in Exodus 17 when they grumbled about the water. 
And he says, you shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes, which he has commanded you. You shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you, that you may go in to take possession of the good land. Hear me say this. In the New Testament, the promised land is a picture of, of salvation. And the means by which we come into salvation is through faith. So please, please, please be very careful when you're reading these kinds of texts that you do not make this about you that you don't make this about your, your position in Christ. This is not your position in Christ. This is, this is uh, the covenant of the works, the covenant of the law. This is the old covenant, which has a glory that is fading away like the shining face of Moses. This is the old covenant, which produces condemnation and death because they couldn't do it. So please, please, please don't make this about who you are in Jesus. This is not who you are in Jesus. When you look at this and you look at how strenuous this is, do everything, keep everything, and then you'll be blessed. Like, my goodness, like, let this be an encouragement to you. We're going to talk about this a little bit more later in Deuteronomy in chapters 27 and 28. I really want you to read that blog post. I've already written it, and it is, it's really important that we understand that concept. So let's keep moving along. Uh, verse 24, the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for good always, that he would preserve us alive as it is this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God that he has commanded us. Catch that. It will be righteousness for us if we do all that is written in the commandments of God. Galatians, Paul says the same thing. He says, everyone who is under the law is under a curse. For the law states, righteous is everyone who does everything written in the book of the law. You and I do not want to be under the law. We are grateful that we are not under the law because none of us would be able to do everything written in the book of the law. And the only way to be righteous according to the law is to do everything. And so we are grateful that this is not us, that you and I have a righteousness which comes by faith in Christ. Uh, according to Philippians 3.9, I'll make a note of that here. It's already... Yeah, and so we have a righteousness that, that comes through Jesus. We have been given the righteousness of God through through faith. And so the same thing that's said about Noah in Hebrews eleven seven, right? Um, yeah, Hebrews eleven seven, that Noah was an heir of righteousness, righteousness that came by faith. The same thing that was said in Genesis fifteen six about Abraham that he was a it became righteous by faith. And so please. Was there, was there the opportunity for righteous under the law, righteousness under the law? Only if you were perfect. Only if you were perfect. And no one was able to do that. Which is why Psalm, well, we'll get to it. I promise. I'm getting ahead. I'm getting into Deuteronomy 27 and 28. But chapter 7 says this. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites, the Jebusites, seven nations, seven nations more numerous and mightier than yourselves, when the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction. Make no covenant with them. This is very important. Make no covenant with them and show them no mercy. We're going to find out that they actually make a covenant with them later, but that'll be in the book of Joshua. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons. So this right here, do not intermarry with the people of the promised land. This is going to get brought up in the book of Ezra. This is going to get brought up in the book of Jeremiah. This is going to get brought up in the book of Nehemiah. And so th this is something that the people will continue to violate and it will draw them further and further away from God, just like the sin of Peor where they intermarried with the Moabites. 
And he says, if you intermarry with these daughters, here's what he says will happen. Chapter seven, verse four, they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. And then the anger of the Lord would be quickly kindled against you and he would destroy you quickly. But here's how you shall deal with them. Break down their altars, dash in pieces their pillars, chop down their Asherah poles. They don't do that. And burn their carved images with fire. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not, this is so key, and it's kind of a little bit of a backhanded compliment, I guess, but he says, it was not because you were more in number than any of the other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you're the fewest of all people. And it is because the Lord, but it is because the Lord loves you, and listen to what he says, verse 8, and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the land of hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps his covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keeps his commandments to a thousand generations and repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with the one who hates him, but he will repay him to his face. You shall therefore be careful to do the commandments and the statutes and the rules that I command you today. And because you listen to these rules and keep and do them, the Lord your God will keep with you the covenant and the steadfast love that he swore to your fathers. He will love you and bless you and multiply you. And he will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground and your grain and your wine and your oil and your incense. You shall be blessed above all the peoples and there will not be male or female barren among you or among your livestock. And the Lord will take away from you all the sickness and none of the evil diseases of Egypt, which you knew will he inflict on you, but he will lay them on all who hate you. And you will consume all the peoples that the Lord your God will give you. Your eyes shall not pity them, neither shall you serve their gods, for that would be a snare to you. If you say in your heart, these nations are greater than I, how can I dispossess them? You shall not be afraid of them, but you shall remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all of Egypt. The great trials that your eyes saw, the signs, the wonders, the mighty hands, the outstretched arm by which the Lord your God brought you out. So you will, so will the Lord your God do to all the people of whom you are afraid. And so he says, don't be afraid of these people. Don't be in dread of these people. Don't worship their gods. Don't intermarry uh, with their, their, their women and serve their gods. Guess what's going to happen? He, he says, when you go into the land, don't become puffed up that you have everything you want and turn away from God. They're going to go into the land. They're going to get everything they want, and they're going to be puffed up and turn away from God. He says, don't intermarry the people of the land. They're going to intermarry the people of the land. He says, don't worship their gods. Destroy all their gods. They don't destroy the gods. They worship them. He says, destroy all the people. He goes, don't be afraid of them. They're afraid of them and they don't destroy them. They destroy some of them, but not all of them. And, and so it is, it is just, it's, it's repugnant how, how wicked these Israelites are. The, the Israelites in the Old Testament, I'm just telling you, well, and for that matter, the New Testament, they killed our Savior, right? So uh, the Israelites don't come off looking very good in the Bible. They just don't. Are there guys like Paul and Peter and Andrew and Stephen who redeem, uh, like show the love of God? Are there guys in the Old Testament like Daniel and Isaiah and Jeremiah? Sure. But as a nation, man, they have rejected God. But th there's implications to that, that plague the whole, the whole scripture. And we'll get to that when we talk about that in Isaiah. I'm, we're far from Isaiah, so I'm sorry I'm getting ahead of myself. Listen, God is warning the people, when you go into the promised land, be careful. And they will not be careful, and they will not fear the Lord, and they will not serve him only, and they will not love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, and might, and they will reject him, and they will turn to idols, and it is about to go really badly for them. But 
Moses is trying to, before he dies, to remind them who they are in, in God and how they're supposed to live. And we will look at that a little bit more tomorrow in chapters 8 and 9. So if you're reading along with us, read ahead chapters 8 and 9 of Deuteronomy, and we'll cover that tomorrow. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining with us today at Simpler Bible through another section of Scripture where we come to know and understand God a little bit better. Look, if you're brand new to Simpler Bible, we have all sorts of resources available for you. Go to our website, simplerbible.com, and there you can find these videos, you can find our podcast, you can find links to our social media, and you can even find a blog post with additional scriptures if you want to go into a little bit more study than we had time to cover in this podcast and video today. We hope that this tool will be exactly that for you, a tool. Not something that replaces your daily walk with God, but something that enhances your daily walk with God and helps you to know and enjoy Him more. Thank you so much for being part of this, and we'll see you again tomorrow.